thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, fabulous wellness women. Thank you so much for joining us today on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And make sure that you are following us on all of our socials. So I'm DrAndrea.xo on Instagram, The Period Whisperer on Facebook. You can find Ashley on Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Um, and make sure you have subscribed um, to us on whatever you know medium or platform you're listening to this. And we love all of your five-star ratings. So thank you so much, ladies. Thank you for joining us. I am super excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Stacey Sims to Wellness Women Radio today. Um, You may have actually seen her very famous TEDx talk called Women Are Not Small Men. And if you haven't, I want you to go and check that out because it is awesome. And I love this woman because I feel like she's she's as nerdy as I am, or or sort of aim to be. Um, you know, anyone who's who's published seventy peer reviewed papers, um, you know, really gets all of my nerdy um, juices flowing. I guess. Um, so Stacy is a for- that sounded really weird, but anyway, Stacy is a forward thinking international exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist who is revolutionising exercise, nutrition, and performance for women. So she's directed research programs at Stanford, AUT, and the University of West Caddo. Um, she focuses on female athlete health and performance, and she's pushing the dogma to improve research on all women. Um, so Dr. Stacey has published 
like I said, over 70 peer-reviewed papers, several books, and she's regularly featured speaker at professional and academic conferences. And so through her books and her work, she's she explains the sex differences in training and nutrition across the lifespan for women, and she's challenging the existing dogma for women as well. So all of those things we just love. So Dr. Stacey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I do sound geeky. Sweet. <laughs> but we love that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, awesome. Speak my language. Start, uh, start chatting. <laughs> so, uh, Stacey, you're absolutely a bit of a trailblazer, which I like. You kind of go a little bit against the grain in terms of some of the content and information that you are sharing. And as I was saying to you before we started recording, I saw um, some work that you were um, talking about, about how women should never train fasted. Can we just dive straight into that? And then I'm going to backpedal a little bit, but let's start there. So that is something that I know um, challenges a lot of people because we always think if we, if we need to lose body fat, we've got to train fasted. We've got to go really push ourselves and maybe not eat afterwards. Can you sort of debunk that for us? Oh, of course, because that explains like so many people were like, I'm trained fasted. I don't eat afterwards. I'm trying to lose weight. It's like what you're doing is you are losing your muscle. It takes so hard and so long to build it. But when we talk about the physiology of it and the way that women's bodies fuel and how sensitive we are to carbohydrate and nutrient intake, we have two areas in the hypothalamus that produce kisspeptin neurons and men have one. We have two areas because we have a thing called the menstrual cycle and the endocrine system, right? So when we start dropping too far below uh, a nutrient level, um, our brain perceives it as we're in a starvation mode and we need to conserve, conserve, conserve. And we know from the research that within three days of fasted training, low energy availability, which occurs, you know, your body perceives it if you're not eating after training, that your thyroid takes a hit your resting metabolic rate starts to go down. And it's um, the downturn of these kisspeptin neurons. And so when kisspeptin starts to downturn, you don't get a luteinizing hormone pulse. Don't get that. You don't get your ovulation surge. You don't have estrogen that's produced. And estrogen is critical for appetite hormone. So if you're looking at this downturn that keeps occurring and people are like, no, fasted training, fasted training. We also know from... Um, a lot of research that if you're trying to hit intensities and you're trying to gain lean mass and lose body fat, women do much, much better in a fed state because the way our bodies fuel is we tend to clear blood sugar first and we rely heavily on blood sugar and then some fatty acids. We don't really tap too much into our liver and muscle glycogen. Um, it's especially apparent in the high hormone phase where if you're trying to do any kind of carbohydrate loading, your body just doesn't take it on. Whereas we look at men and men who do fasted training and most of the research on the efficacy of fasted training and time-restricted eating and training within the fasted window come from male data. And we know that men have one area of the kisspeptin neurons and their threshold of sensitivity was around 15 calories per kilogram of body weight before they start having endocrine function or dysfunction. But for women, we're 35 to 40. So we're like, you know, there's a, a twice the amount that we need with regards to that threshold for endocrine dysfunction than men do. And because men rely more on carbohydrate and liver and muscle, muscle carbohydrate, they can get away with it because they can clear it and then their body kicks into burning fat. 
but our bodies are already really well adapted to burning fat. So if we have to kick into that and have that metabolic signaling that we don't have enough nutrition, then we start storing more with the um, the other signal to downturn our resting metabolic rate. So if we're looking at what do we need, we need to fuel for what we're doing if we want to see any kind of change in body composition and improve our fitness adaptations. And uh, Stacey, you can kind of see that you walk the talk because um, ladies, we may put some video excerpts of this on social media, but Stacey is quite a specimen. She is ripped. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, what would be the best things to eat pre-exercise for women? Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a lot. Like I get up and I try to get out of the house before my daughter gets up. So I might go for a swim or something, but I'm up between 5.30 and 6. And it's not like I'm going to eat breakfast. So it's not about having a full meal. It might be 100 to 150 calories. could be a half a banana. It could be a protein fortified coffee where you make a cold brew and you put in protein powder and some sweetened almond milk at this time because you want a little bit of carbohydrate, could be a piece of toast with butter. So it's just something very small to bring your blood sugar up and signal to your body that yes, there's nutrition coming in. And then the flip side of that is you really want to have your real meal within 30 to 40 minutes after finishing, because you want to stop that breakdown state of exercise. Because the longer you extend it, it's more your body's getting the signal to keep breaking down lean mass and stay in that catabolic state which then signals I'm in a low energy state. So this is why it's really important to think about fueling for the stress at hand. And then if you need to do some kind of calorie restriction, it's later in the afternoon, preferably like at night. So you're not having a late dinner. You're not having a snack before bed because then that interrupts sleep. So if we're looking at how are we timing everything, it's fueling for what you're doing when your body's under that stress. That is such incredibly good information because I think there's still so many women that are caught up in the trap of thinking that fasting before exercise or fasting after it's better because then then you're burning more because, you know, there's more to burn because you haven't put anything in. Like I hate to say it, but it's just a classic, you know, misconception, isn't it? And I'm sure you're still debunking that everywhere you go across the globe that people say, no, no, but I was told to do it this way. And I can tell you from, I mean, obviously years of sport like yourself, it's um, very hard to get old patterns out of the way. You know, it's something that you, I grew up with at high level sport and it was always that funny thing of what you needed and it was it was after training it was focused on. But as female athletes, we definitely didn't get any different advice to the male athletes in the squad. And yet we were pushing our bodies as hard. We were getting up at the same time. We were, you know, doing the same number of sessions, but we did not get a difference in our nutrition advice. Um, it was pretty collective. And I think this is so interesting that we really should be looking at, uh, you know, performance. And this doesn't just mean athletes, does it? It just means regular women who are looking at perimenopause, starting to get concerns about that, you know, midline bulge starting to occur. Oh, I'm holding some fat. I'm, you know, I've got some on my belly, you know, all these concerns that we hear so frequently in practice. But it's so common that we find that we will say, oh, I've, I'm, I'm doing this fasting diet. And it's really interesting to see how the results are, might be short term, but long term, it almost comes back double. Like it hits them hard metabolically. And you mentioned that baseline metabolic rate. Something has shifted. It's made it even harder the next time. And they just tend to go on this yo-yo effect through, you know, perimenopause and menopause. So what you're saying might have some ma a massive impact on some of these women who, you know, I know some of our clients listening who will be like, 
like, what? <laughs> like, hang on. I think the girls have talked about this before, but I didn't get it. And now, you know, Dr. Stacey is saying this. Um, could you expand on that a little bit, how those hormonal impacts occur when we start to, you know, transition in the hormone status into perimenopause, into menopause, what's different and why do women need to think differently about their bodies and not do the same yo-yo diet they've done for the last 20 years? Yeah, so estrogen and progesterone affect more than the reproductive system. And uh, most of us know that, but they're very particular in uh, metabolism. So glucose and progesterone, or sorry, estrogen and progesterone really uh, key to glucose homeostasis. So controlling blood sugar, how the body stores carbohydrate, how the body uses carbohydrate. Um, estrogen is really critical for um, the myosin contractile protein in the muscle for it to actually stimulate to be developed. And that's part of the muscle protein synthesis. So when we start going through perimenopause and have a change of these ratios, we start really seeing these effects in the body where we have an increase of insulin resistance. We have a decrease in our ability to build lean mass. And of course, putting on that visceral fat. So what we have to take a step back and say, okay, well, what are the external stressors that we can do to support our bodies, how these hormones used to support us? So we look at what did estrogen do? Well, it affects that myosin contractile protein and stimulates um, muscle protein synthesis. And we know in a premenopausal woman, so normal reproductive years, that muscle protein synthesis has three pathways. We have the IGF-1 insulin pathway that's stimulated by estrogen. We have mechanical work and we have amino acids or nutrition. So when we get into a point where we can't rely on the IGF-1 and, and estrogen pathway, we really have two. So we have to make sure that the mechanical stress of exercise is a very strong stress. So this is where we start looking at resistance training, but not the eight to 12 reps. We want to get the neuromuscular really strong, heavy stuff so that we're stimulating the nerve to contract more fibers at once to, for strong contraction. So that will keep myosin going and keep the stimulus for myosin to keep turning over and keep lean mass and muscle integrity. Stacey, can I just uh, ask there, when you said not the, not the long sets, do you mean heavy loads, shorter reps, like less, like yes. doing less, but heavier? Yeah, great. Yes. So like the, you know, one to six rep range and you're mm -hmm. looking at 80% or more one rep max where it's good form. And by the last set, you're like, I can eke out three. So it's not a cardiovascular workout. It's purely that neuromuscular. And you'll see people sitting around resting more than they're lifting. And that's what we're after. Mm. That's amazing. Again. That's a really, yeah. Again, like, wow, because I, how many women go, I hate to say, you know, but women's only gyms and they're doing these circuit sessions and all they're uh. doing is, and I see you roll your eyes. And, I, <laughs> and the problem is, and I don't mean to be cruel or unkind, but the reality is all the women in the room have the same physiology. Mm -hmm. They're all battling the same problem and not getting massive changes. And I've often wondered if the formula is not working because they kind of feel like they're in the rat wheel of this circuit around the room. And, um, you know, and some will get results, but that's mm -hmm. often other environmental changes they've made. Um, but for the, like you've just described, I don't think I would have ever seen a woman, you know, lift one to six reps. No. You're trying to do up to 20, you know, you're trying to do, you know, 12 to 20, go, go, go. <laughs> right, right. And it causes a metabolic stress, which is not high enough intensity to be like true hit or sprint interval training. And it's not easy enough for recovery. So it's right there in that dead zone or that moderate intensity. Yes. And that's not where perimenopausal and postmenopausal women should be. Oh. Because 
when we sit there in that moderate intensity, it increases cortisol, but we don't get the follow through of growth hormone and an anti-inflammatory response because we're in such this stress state and it increases that sympathetic drive. It keeps baseline cortisol elevated and people are like, I'm not getting any results from my training. It's because you're not polarizing. You need to recover enough on easy, easy days so that when you know you are going to the gym either to lift hard or do um, sprint intervals, you can go full gas. It's that whole top end or really low end. We don't need to spend time in the modern intensity world, regardless of if you're an elite athlete or you're someone who's just trying to, to do their first 5K. is This modern intensity zone is so bad for the body with regards to your ANS, with regards to hormone flux, with regards to body composition. And so when I see something like F45 or Orange Theory, I just am like, oh my gosh, this is the worst possible prescription for any woman at any age, but really in this demographic that they're, that they're targeting in that 40 plus range, where women are still like, oh my gosh, my body's changing. I better do some high intensity and some resistance training. But those circuits are not the answer. Thank you for saying that. that <laughs> that's something I wanted to kind of get out of you today was like, let the expert tell us what, what, what we try and say gently to women, but don't want to be too rude about. Um, but you're right. And it doesn't create that adaptive change, does it? And you're talking not about at all. high, high intensity or low, low, you know, chill zone, but in the middle zone is not your adaptive stress, which is not going to work in a positive way. It's actually creating, you know, distress on the body. And that's what you're explaining why it affects our hormones so negatively. Exactly. I had, um, I did a live uh, a couple of weeks ago and there were two coaches in there. So they are coaches for um, 70.3 or Ironman triathlon. And they're also training up for Ironman. And they all said, oh, I'm getting slower. I'm getting fatter. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to implement these things. Like, let me, I don't normally do this. Let me see what you're doing. And I sent it through and I looked at it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is something like a 22 year old dude should be doing. <laughs> and you guys are supposed to be coaching other women. So yeah. I tweaked it up and Drop the volume, increase the intensity. I was like, I know you're training for an Ironman, but you do not need to do the volume. Two weeks later, get the email back. Oh my gosh, I feel so fantastic. I'm sleeping better. I am running faster. I really enjoy the, my interval training and I've never felt this way before leading into a race. I'm like, after two weeks, this is fantastic. <laughs> so when people get that, you know, and they really understand how to polarize and drop that volume, things really start to progress rapidly for them. That is so cool. And Stacey, there's that old adage of, and I hate this saying, but it's, if you don't have the body you want before 40, you never will. And oh, gosh. I know that that's super scary. And when I was uh, reading through some of the excerpt that you kindly sent to us of your new book, um, it was saying that athletically women in their forties are still in their prime. Now, again, yeah. that goes against some of the things that we, we think, you know, we think it's all downhill for, from 40, right? right. Um, so can you unpack that a little bit? Um, yeah, for sure. Like we look at women versus men, women come into their own with regards to endurance in their late thirties, early forties, and they have their speed and power prior to where guys endurance and speed and power are you know, peaking out in their twenties. And then they have to really fight to maintain some of that endurance aspect because from birth with sex differences, women already have more of the mitochondrial proteins to use and, and, and 
burn free fatty acids, where men have to work to get that way. So when we start losing hormones or they start shifting, we still have that natural capacity to be able to build on top of our natural endurance. And so when women are in their 40s, if they're changing their training to keep the power and the speed by doing plyometric work, lifting heavy, you know, more intensity, less volume, then they can be fitter and faster than when they were like 35. So we see a lot of the top endurance athletes who are in that early 40, late 30 state. And it's because they have this huge history of being able to train and then they drop the volume and just really focus on maintaining speed and power. And they just keep progressing. That's really interesting because that's such a challenge, isn't it, for a lot of women who come out of a sports background who are used to doing 10 to 12 sessions a week and suddenly um, you're given permission to do, oh, hey, you only need to do five to six. It's like, "Uh, what? I know. But the people I'm racing are doing, you know, 10 to 12. I can't possibly keep up. And it's such a psychological shift that needs to occur because you need to have this understanding and knowledge of how your hormone system works for you. And I know you're really big as well about promoting correct training through your cyclic, you know, phases, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what exercises when. Can you give us a quick rundown just, um, just I guess, you know, for women who are not in menopausal stages yet, just like, you know, a general, you know, cycling woman, what they should be looking at from day one to day 28. Yeah. So I'm glad you said the day one to 28. So I'm sure your listeners know that that's like the textbook menstrual cycle. Day one is the first day bleeding to 28. So in the low hormone phase, in the follicular phase, we are quote more like men where our core temperature is lower. Uh, we can access carbohydrate pretty well from the liver and the muscle. We recover better. Uh, we sleep better. We get into more slow wave sleep, REM sleep. Um, we have more mojo, motivation, and it all has to do with the fact that biologically, we are trying to be very stress resilient to um, you know, have immunity that will fight off any kind of invading pathogens that might interrupt ovulation. We want to be able to fight for the male species that might you know, help with the fertilization. So our body is really primed to like go hard and, and take on stress and, and really nail the workouts we'll put it that way <laughs> and then <laughs> love it and then after after ovulation and um, you have you know estrogen comes up and then goes down and then it comes up then progesterone starts coming up and they have antagonistic effects but both of them affect every system of the body so we start seeing an increase in our core temperature we have a drop in our plasma volume or the watery part of our blood for sweating we have a little bit more heat intolerance Estrogen crosses blood-brain barrier, uh, so it can cause some um, hypersensitivity of serotonin, which causes anxiety, a little bit of depression. We know there's lack of motivation um, because they supersede testosterone with regards to motivation. So all these changes in the high hormone phase. So when we're looking at how we train, like I said, in the follicular phase up to ovulation, this is where you can really hit it hard with regards to cardio, you know, high-intensity work, definitely in the gym. And around ovulation, because some women feel really good and some women feel a bit flat and then they feel good, this is the time to push it really hard for strength development because estrogen is anabolic in itself. So you have a big push of an anabolic hormone. Then after ovulation, as those two hormones start to come up and peak, you switch it more into a steady state. So it's not so much the volume of high intensity and resistance training, you're kind of dropping the volume and you're still going, you're doing some high intensity, staying out of that gray zone. But then the few days before your period starts, 
about five or four days, this is where we deload. So if you're looking from a sport perspective, the deload is where you're doing mobility work, you're working on sleep, working on recovery. Um, you, If you're in the gym, you're working on technique under the bar so that when you hit that low hormone phase again, boom, you're recovered, you're ready to go. And do you find with awareness of that, you can help women maintain a cycle? Because I've noticed, you know, obviously athletes will frequently talk about amenorrhea and concerns around, you know, irregular cycles. And it sounds like that uh, training loads have a lot of impact on whether a woman retains her cycle or loses it because it's that, that stress load that either decides the body wants to uh, continue doing what it's doing or it needs to preserve itself. And I think it sounds like I need you as my coach. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is, it's interesting. Like, if you get the nutrition nailed down in around training, that definitely helps because, you know, it keeps people at that low energy state. But um, I'll work with teams and I can tell when they're traveling and when they're at home without even seeing their schedule, just by looking at their menstrual cycle, how it changes. Yeah. Because when they're traveling and under more stress, it tends to lengthen because that follicular phase is lengthening. And then when they're at home, they become really like textbook because they're back in their home environment. They can eat how they want. They're in their own bed. So there's that load of stress that's gone. So if we're looking at really working with our own hormone flux and our own cycles, then we can manipulate that stress according to our own individual hormone profile to get more out of training so that we get better adaptations and we cover better and we can progress without that undue stress and cortisol load and overtraining that a lot of women get into regardless of what level of athletics they're at. And it sounds like you're a big advocate there for uh, track and measure, you know, Definitely. know thy cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's a biological thing that so many women are just, they don't really realize until, oh, my period's here today, right? So it's something that if we're really aware of what's going on, it answers a lot of the questions that women have negative self-talk around. So you know, they might go do a really hard session on day 23 of their cycle and it doesn't go very well, but they didn't realize that every month on day 23, they feel flat. So it's yeah. just those small things that really will empower women to understand what's going on instead of that negative self-talk of you're not very fit. You didn't recover well. You didn't get enough sleep. You're too stressed. So all of these things that we hear that compound how we feel about ourselves, you can remove that if you understand where you are in your cycle and how those hormones affect you. Mm. Yeah, that's so clever. And it's, you know, this little secret mechanism that we have that we can use to our advantage that men don't necessarily have um, that is so finely tuned, um, which is, you know, why we're so magical. Um, <laughs> Stacey, you keep talking about recovery. What would recovery for the av average quote unquote woman, what would a recovery day look like? What sort of things should they be doing? Uh, so when we talk about recovery, you know, you have the acute, which we know the food and, and, and getting good sleep, but on a recovery day itself, it's not restricting calories, which so many people do. I'm not working out. I'm going to restrict my calories because your body's actively trying to repair itself. So you're eating really good, wholesome foods, having good hits of protein at every meal. You're walking around little uh, mobilization, but you're not purposely stressing out that you have to get this exercise session in. And you want to make sure you're getting some good sleep. And so you wake up the next day or maybe it's two days of recovery in a row. You wake up, you're like, sweet, I feel bulletproof. And it's one of those things that people think, oh, it's recovery day. I'm going to shove all these extra chores and stuff in. And because I have this extra time, I'm not training. But it's not about that. It's like managing the stress load of your daily life and not trying to shove it all in into a, a recovery day because that 
increases that allostatic load, which then you're still not going to keep progressing. So it's really that time management. I have some me time now. Uh, normally I use it for training, but this time I'm going to use it just to take things a little bit slower and take care of myself. Oh, and women are so terrible at that. I know. <laughs> it's that, you know, constantly uh, that busy woman syndrome or the rushing women syndrome, yes. um, as, as it's known as. Yes. Um, Stacey, I want to jump back to this sort of perimenopausal, menopausal woman for a second, um, because one of the most common things that we hear from women who maybe have been really fit their whole life, and I think that you've sort of answered this, but I want to tease it out a little bit more. And now all of a sudden they're growing this belly fat and they'll like pull at their stomach and go, what is this? Where has this come from? It's like that middle-aged spread <laughs> that we you know, terribly refer to it to. Why is that happening and what can they do about it? So when we have the changeover of our hormones and we start uh, really experiencing that decline in progesterone, <clears throat> and so we have a little bit more estrogen dominance, but we might also have a change of the ratios of estrogen and progesterone. So it's these inherent changes of these hormones. So we get more systemic inflammation and we have a higher baseline of cortisol. And with those two, we also get a signal to store visceral fat, more abdominal fat. And if we want to change that, again, it's about what are we doing from that training scope to support the body, how those hormones used to, but also being aware that there's a slight shift in the types of carbohydrates that we're eating because we have a little bit of that insulin resistance. So we want to make sure that we're really focusing on those colorful fruit and veg for gut microbiome, but also for getting more complex carbs in that's not going to spike the blood sugar up. And then we're like, whoa, okay, what's going on? So it's more about mitigating energy levels um, appropriately with food. Yeah. Brilliant. So simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like saying, ta-da, we're done. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your book, Stacey, because I'm really uh, interested as to what's, I guess, given you the drive to say, hey, I'm going to sit down and write this you know, massive book of information that women just need to have um, because writing a book takes a whole lot of time, a whole lot of effort. What have you put in there that women really need to know about? Uh, which one? <laughs> oh, let's go your latest one. The one that's going to come out. That the new one. Yes. Next level. Next, next level. Next level. So next level came because uh, the first book, Roar, we only had one chapter in there on menopause. And we kept getting all these questions about it. We being myself and my co-author, Celine. And at the same time, both Celine and I were getting older. So we've aged out of you know, the elite competition. And now we're working with our colleagues who are now coaches. And everyone's kind of in that same boat of what's going on. Um, and I also, uh, at Stanford, had the benefit of working with Marcia Stefanik, who was one of the principal investigators for the Women's Health Initiative that was a big study in the States about hormone replacement therapy. So I had one hand in that population and one hand in human performance. So it's taking concepts of human performance to try to understand vasomotor symptoms, body composition changes, and what kind of adaptogens we might be able to use to mitigate that. And it just became commonplace. So then when I started getting all these questions from the first book about menopause and perimenopause and all this confusion, I was like, I wonder if we can pitch to Rodell or Penguin to write a bigger book on this. And Celine's like, yeah, and she wasn't really in the space because she wasn't really experiencing things. She says this, so it's okay for me to say. She, she's like, I, I didn't really feel like I could write a book in layperson terms if I hadn't gone through it. I was like, 
okay, I can understand that, but I've seen it and I know the science. So what's going on? But then about two years after talking about it, she emailed me, she goes, what is going on? And that became the impetus to really get this information out. And when you do like a Google search on perimenopause or menopause, all you get is the recommendations for someone who's sedentary, or you see the research is coming out on women who have a greater cardiovascular risk, metabolic disease, because it's all that sedentary population. But the subset of women, and we know that the largest growing population is the master's female athlete. They still want to stay fit and they want to understand how am I going to get through this um, transition and still maintain my physique, my power, my speed, my love for sport. And there are tools out there, but they're really hard to find. So we put it all together in a book. Amazing. I, I can't wait for our listeners to get a hand on that too. So I think Next Level's coming out in, have you got it ready to publish for, was it May? It's May, yeah. I think. Yeah. 17th of May, but we're, um, you can pre-order it now. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Where can they find you? Let's uh, have a chat. How can our lovely listeners find you, Dr. Stacey? Where would they go to get this book? Uh, so you can go to our website, Dr. Stacey Sims, and we have a link to pre-order. Um, you can also go to your local bookseller. I know that um, like Whitcall's here is in um, like parallel with, I just forgot what brand it is in Australia. Sorry. Maybe you Dimex, can, maybe? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yes. So you can pre-order <laughs> from that. In both worlds. I know how to translate. Oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So you can order from that. You can order from Amazon. Um, yeah. So that's where you can get it. And then you can follow updates on social as well to find out you know, where to get it. We have some freebies going with it, like uh, adaptogen chart and um, to understand how to use adaptogens, um, how to talk to your coach or how to talk to your friends about stuff. So other tidbits of, of helping along the way while the book's still being put in a box to be sent out. Amazing. Uh, and how about our lovely listeners in New Zealand? Because that's where you are, isn't it? Can yes. they, do you do things over there? What do, what do they do? Can they find you? <laughs> or are you hiding, enjoying uh, beach, beach life? <laughs> I wish. Um, I actually, like, I work with High Performance Sport New Zealand. I've given seminars, but no one's really gravitated. So I've been able to maintain a really low profile. Oh, uh, well, that's about to change. We'll uh, make sure we get your name out there. <laughs> it's already changing as I get requests. It's like, oh, how do you know who I am? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. you're really smart and you have an um, incredible little knowledge on this and uh, we really really thank you for your time today talking to us because i know that so many of our listeners are going to get so much from this even i've got so much from this and i'm not in perimenopause but my brain's just gone oh, wow grab onto that information so thank you so much it's preparation preparation <laughs> exactly yeah, absolutely um okay so dr stacy where can our listeners find you can you just um shout out your social handles and your website and everything else yeah so um uh, facebook and instagram Dr. Stacey Sims, and then the website's super easy too, drstacysims.com. <laughs> and that's S-I-M-S. And we'll post um, links to all of that in the show notes for this. Uh, Dr. Stacey, thanks so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio today. You have been amazing. Uh, so, ladies, as I said, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Dr. Ashley Bond. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.